invite you to turn in your Bibles with me again to the Old Testament this afternoon, this time to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I want to read chapter 5 with you. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Jeremiah chapter 5. Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, or Jeremiah, Isaiah. Chapter 5 of Jeremiah. Hear the word of God with me. Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem and see now and know and seek in her open places if you can find a man. If there is anyone who executes judgment, who seeks the truth, and I will pardon her, pardon Jerusalem then, though they say, as the Lord lives, surely they swear falsely. O Lord, are are not your eyes on the truth? You have stricken them, but they have not grieved. You have consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to return. Therefore I said, surely these are poor, they are foolish, for they do not know the ways of the Lord, the judgments of their God. I will go to the great men, speak to them, for they have known the way of the Lord, the judgment of their God. But these have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds, therefore a lion from the forest shall slay them. A wolf of the desert shall destroy them, a leopard will watch over their cities, everyone who goes out from there shall be torn in pieces." Because their transgressions are many, their backslidings have increased. How shall I pardon you for this? Your children have forsaken me and sworn by those that are not gods. When I had fed them to the full, then they committed adultery and assembled themselves by troops in the harlots' houses. They were like well-fed, lusty stallions, everyone neighed after his neighbor's wife. Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? Go up on her walls and destroy, but do not make a complete end. Take away her branches, for they are not the Lord's. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have dealt very treacherously with me, says the Lord. They have lied about the Lord and said, It is not he. Neither will evil come upon us, nor shall we see sword or famine. And the prophets become wind, for the word is not in them. Thus shall it be done to them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, Because you speak this word, Behold, I will make my words in your mouth fire, and this people wood, and it shall devour them. Behold, I will bring a nation against you from afar, O house of Israel, says the Lord. It is a mighty nation, it is an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. Their quiver is like an open tomb, they are all mighty men, and they shall eat up your harvest and your bread, which your sons and daughters should eat. They shall eat up your flocks and your herds. They shall eat up your vines and your fig trees. They shall destroy your fortified cities in which you trust with the sword. Nevertheless, in those days, says the Lord, I will not make a complete end of you. And it will be when you say, why does the Lord our God do all these things to us? Then you shall answer them just as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land. So you shall serve aliens in a land that is not yours. Declare this in the house of Jacob and proclaim it in Judah, saying, Hear this now, O foolish people, without understanding, who have eyes and do not, and see not, 
and who have ears and hear not? Do you not fear me, says the Lord? Will you not tremble at my presence, who have placed the sand as who have placed the sand as the bounds of the sea, by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass beyond it? And though its waves toss to and fro, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot pass over it. But this people has a defiant and a rebellious heart. They have revolted and departed. They do not say in their heart, Let us now fear the Lord our God, who gives rain both the former and the latter in its season. He reserves for us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these things away, and your sins have withheld good from you. For among my people are found wicked men. They lie in wait as one who sets snares. They set a trap. They catch men as a cage full of birds. So their houses are full of deceit. Therefore they have become great and grown rich. They have grown fat. They are sleek. Yes, they surpass the deeds of the wicked. They do not plead the cause, the cause of the fatherless. Yet they prosper. And the right of the needy they do not defend. Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? And astonishing, an astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power, and my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? And the words of my text are formed in that last part of that verse, verse 31b, the second half. And my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he again add his blessing to the hearing, the reading, and the preaching of his word again this afternoon. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ gathered here in Bowmanville this afternoon. Once again we've come to the close of another year. This evening we will turn the page of 2023 in a new chapter. The year of our Lord 2024 will begin Time marches on. Time waits for no man. And it is especially at the end of each year that we are reminded that time passes by so quickly. It seems like only such a short time ago that we were concerned about things such as Y2K. You remember. And now here we are welcoming 2024 already. Almost 25 years. Indeed, once again, we are reminded that hours and days and years and ages swift as moving shadows flee. And as the year marches on, you begin to realize that each passing day is not only the first day of the rest of your life, but it's also one day closer to the end of your life. Each passing day, each passing year reminds us that we are now one day or one year closer to that great day when Christ will return in the clouds of heaven. And it's also that thought that must occupy our minds this afternoon. David expresses in Psalm 39 so beautifully that the, the thoughts which must fill the hearts and minds of God's people are as we stand on the threshold of the coming year when he writes, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as a handbreadth, and my age is nothing before you. Certainly, every man at his best stage is but a vapor. Lord, he says, Lord, Make me to know my end. And if you're familiar with the psalm, you will know that David's soul had been deeply troubled. And in the great trial in his life, 
David is brought to a consciousness of his own life, or more precisely, he is suddenly aware of the brevity of his life. He is suddenly aware of his own impending death. And he goes to God and says, Oh Lord, make me to know my own end. And on the evening of this year, we would do well to follow his example. As this year closes, we can do no better than to go to God to ask him to help us to reflect on our brief earthly life and to set it in the context of eternity. Our text of this afternoon speaks of these things and during the last worship service of this year, the Lord calls us to consider the end. Consider the end. God puts the question of eternity to Judah in our text, but he sets it before every generation following. The question comes equally to us, but what will you do in the end? We will see that it is a warning fitly spoken. It is a warning often neglected, and we will see that it is a warning graciously presented. Consider the end. What will you do in the end? It is a warning fitly spoken, often neglected, and graciously presented. The words of our text were addressed to Judah. The chapter we read in their original application referred to the moral and spiritual corruption of the people of Judah. God had called Jeremiah, he had set him aside as prophet, and he'd put, he'd put his own words in his mouth, and he had sent him to Judah to warn her of the impending judgment that was sure to come if she did not amend her ways. You know at least some of the story. Many pagan practices had found their way into the religious life of Judah. Judah had apostatized. Israel, the northern kingdom, was already paying the price for their ungodliness. They had fallen victim to Assyria as consequence of their disobedience almost a century earlier. But their calamity had not impacted Judah. Judah was blind to the consequence of her sin and the graphic lesson that God taught to the ten tribes left no impression. Judah had eyes, but she saw not. She had ears, but she heard not. And she continued defiantly on her way in the way that would ultimately culminate in the Babylonian captivity. And God now in grace would seek one more time to awaken his people out of their complacency. God sends Jeremiah to ask of them a very appropriate question. But what will you do in the end? Your sin, your unbelief, your idolatry, your adultery, your apostasy has risen up before me as a stench in my nostrils, says God. But what will you do in the end? And if we stop and reflect for a moment, we would think that it was rather an incredible turn of events here. You see, the pagans, the, the heathens, the world of unbelief that surrounded Judah, they remained faithful to their pagan gods. For them to switch allegiance from one God to another, that would be inconceivable to them. But Judah, God's people, they exchanged the living God for idols. And so the Lord explains to Jeremiah in chapter 2, verse 13, that my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, and they have carved for themselves false gods. In fact, the apostasy had become so severe that God says in the opening verse of our chapter, run to and fro in the streets of Jerusalem. Run to and fro in the streets of Jerusalem and see if you can find a man, a man, 
one man who seeks the truth and I will pardon her, I will pardon Jerusalem. And finally the situation is summed up by God in the, in the verses of our text. An astonishing and a horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, the priests rule by their own power, and my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? In other words, God was saying to Judah, it is still the day of grace. There is still time. Judah, one more time, I call you to repentance. People got the warning was given to Judah thousands of years ago, but the words of our text are as fresh and as relevant for our world as they were in the time of Jeremiah, are they not? The world in which we live is also one of cause and effect, if you will. Our world, too, sows what it reaps. Every action brings with it a reaction and consequences, consequences beyond the immediate present, doesn't it? For instance, surely it is absurd to consider that certain actions and decisions by government legislators won't have consequences for the future of the moral condition of our land. For example, if you are old enough to remember, if you draft legislation to sanction abortions but only with certain guidelines as our legislators did initially, abortions only in extreme conditions with certain guidelines, then it's only a question of time until the guidelines are legislated away. We've seen that already. From abortions only in extreme conditions, to abortions on demand, to abortion as an effective method of birth control to deal with pregnancy resulting from illicit and promiscuous sexual behavior. All within a few short years, it's a slippery slope, cause and effect, reaction in response to action, Surely it is foolish not to consider the end result or the consequences of actions or, deci or decisions. Surely it is great folly for a criminal when plotting a crime to not consider the consequences when he is eventually apprehended and convicted. Surely it is prudent and incumbent upon us all to consider the end while we still have opportunity. But our text has an even greater and even more profound application in the spiritual realm. There is such a thing as the final end. There is the end of our earthly pilgrimage. And it would be an even greater tragedy if that end were not considered by us. Congregation, the Bible tells us that man's days are like grass, swiftly spent, and as we stand at the close of another year and wonder where the year has gone so quickly, we're reminded of the brevity of life in its totality. Time swiftly marches on, and time eventually comes to an end for us all. And when our days are over, man then begins to live on the basis of wages, if you will. That's especially true for those who are without God and without hope in the world. All those who are without Christ, those who die apart from Christ, will continue on in the afterlife on the basis of their wages for sin, which is death. But if by sovereign grace one is a child of God, then the case is so gloriously different. Then you are not in the realm of wages, but in the sphere of God's free gift of grace, which is eternal life in Jesus Christ. My dear people of God, it is not safe for us, even as Christians, it is not safe for us 
to ignore this warning of the Lord to consider the end. You see, the power of sin is not foreign to God's children, and Satan goes about as a roaring lion determined to lead God's people astray. Satan exerts himself day and night to snatch God's people out of God's hand. As I've reminded you many times, Satan is not interested in the world. The world already belongs to Satan. Satan is interested in you and me. Satan is interested in the church. And he exerts himself day and night to snatch God's people out of God's hand. And who among us can honestly say, I am not tempted by the prince of darkness? Who among us, young and old, can say with any integrity, I have not fallen to any temptation set before me by the evil one? Should there be such a one among us, then let's delete our, the te- our text from the Bible. Oh, the words of warning given by God to Jeremiah in order that he could set them before Judah. Those words are still very relevant and appropriate for us to hear on the last day of 2023. Consider the end. Think with me about the perilous days in which the Lord has placed us. Oh, indeed, every generation has had their dark days, but our day, our day is of a particular concern for us. We're living in a day of secular worldliness, and it is a worldliness that has even crept into the Christian church. The line of demarcation between church and world has become obscured, because instead of the church going out into the world, To a large extent, the world has been allowed to creep into the church, and the church herself has become worldly. Gone is that antithesis of which our fathers spoke. Gone is the clear distinction between the world and the church, and a great spiritual declension is sweeping our nation, and the church herself, the church called to bear witness for the sake of the perishing, has adopted an attitude that refuses to address the sin of the world in the misguided notion that confrontation with the world is uncharitable, unchristian, and in the process, the church herself is beginning to become more and more like the sinful world. People of God, we and our children, we live in an environment of great religious indifference, And there is so much work to do if we will prepare our children and our grandchildren for the perilous days that await them when our nation begins to reap in earnest the carelessness with which she has sown. The next generation will reap the harvest that this generation is sowing. Therefore, it is good for us to consider the end result of our work. Mighty people of God, it is not hard to see that contemporary churches of today are filled with members who have for all intent and purposes forgotten the name of the Lord. Oh, they keep up a certain semblance, a certain form of godliness, but it's only a facade, a false front, and they're making no spiritual impression upon their children. They fail to honor their covenant obligations, either their own or towards their children. They have gone their own way, doing what is right in their own sight, and they have broken covenant with the Lord, despite the fact that they still attend some kind of religious services. But catch this with me. It was Judah's covenant breaking that occasioned the stern warning of the Lord to consider the end. They still considered themselves to be religious, But it was no longer the God 
prescribed religion. They wanted to worship as they saw fit. And it was for that sin that God called them to account and delivered them into a, the hands of the Babylonians. Is it any different in the churches of today? Are we not seeing most churches imitating precisely the sin of Judah that so angered the Lord? Is that same warning called and not fitting for us as we stand on the threshold of 2024? Would it not be well for the churches of today to consider the consequences of her past decisions? Would it not be good for the churches to con consider the end result of the decisions she's already made? But, but, but my dear people of God, as we have to do with a much more profound and intensely personal question here. It's much too easy for us to just point fingers at the church in general. The question needs to be brought home to us personally this afternoon. The Lord is asking of us to consider the end. But if I were to rephrase it, the simple but profound question before us here would be, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the question. For you see, if you have never felt deeply the stirring of the Holy Spirit moving you to tears of repentance for your sin, if you have not yet come to God by way of the cross of Jesus Christ, then the question of Jeremiah has got to ring in your ears this afternoon. What will you do in the end? Don't let that question fall on deaf ears or bounce off an indifferent heart. The children of Judah of our text, they did precisely that. They saw the consequence of the sin of Israel. They saw Israel going into captivity because of their complacency and their apostasy. And yet, they continued to set their faces flint against the warnings of the Lord. And they continued with their own idolatrous practices. Judah saw what God had done with backsliding Israel, and yet she feared neither God nor man. In fact, the situation as it was was precisely what they wanted. Note carefully the words we read together about her. Their prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule by their own power, and my people love to have it so. It reminds us of the incident of King Ahab. You remember that story, don't you? Let me refresh your memory. King Ahab of Israel, wicked King Ahab, had determined to recapture Ramoth Gilead from Syria. And one day when King Jehoshaphat of Judah came calling, Ahab asked him to help him in that venture. But Jehoshaphat was a pious man. He was a godly man. And he wanted first to know the will of the Lord on the matter. And Ahab had no objection to that, but instead of calling the prophets of the Lord, he called together upon his own prophets, his yes-men, if you will. And they were true to form. Each of them suggested that they had it on good authority that the Lord would bless Ahab in the taking of Ramoth Gilead from the enemy. But Jehoshaphat was uneasy about these prophets. He was uneasy about Ahab's yes-men. And he asked if there was not a prophet of the Lord in whom they could inquire. And to that question, Ahab gave a rather stunning reply. Yes, there is one, Micaiah, son of Imlah, but I hate him. He never prophesies good things about me, but only evil. 
You see, like Judah, centuries later, Ahab wanted the lie, and my people loved to have it so. And the end of Ahab was tragic and eternal as consequence. And now in our text, Judah demonstrated the same attitude as Ahab. The prophets prophesied falsely. The priests were corrupt, and the people loved to have it so. And God comes to them with the question, what will you do in the end? But they ignored him. They refused to think about cause and effect. They refused to consider issues and consequences. What end? What end? There will be no end. Things are great, man. But there was an end, and we know the story as well. God's city overrun. God's temple burned and destroyed. God's people taken captive. And leading the Babylonians against Judah, hear me well, leading the, Bab leading the Babylonians against Judah was God himself. Congregation correctly has it been said that in order to understand the present, we must know the past. History is always instructive. That's why it's taught in the schools. But Judah's history also is also instructive for God's people. You see, Judah's mistake did not die out with Judah. Judah refused to consider the consequence of their ungodly life. And that same neglect is still so prevalent today. Millions of people have been confronted with the gospel message over the holiday season, and yet they will set aside the question of our text in the same way as did Judah. They want to live, as it were, day by day. They insist on, on walking this life without thinking of the next, and they fail to understand that it is not the distance that one has traveled that matters, but the direction and the destination that counts. How tragic then when men and women refuse to answer the Lord when he asks of them, what will you do in the end? Congregation, while preparing this sermon, I found that one of the commentators I consulted used a little illustration to help fix the point in our minds. He writes that the story is told of a very wealthy man, a man of noble blood who lived in the days when it was customary for an extremely rich person to have a fool in his employ and living in his own house. And the task of this simpleton was to provide entertainment for the master. In this instant, the fool was a crippled and disfigured man and he himself was often the object of the master's cruel ridicule. One day the master came to the fool with a strange proposition. He gave him a staff, a large heavy staff, and said to the fool that he must keep that staff and he must carry it with him at all times, and the only way he could relieve himself of that burden was if he could find someone who was a bigger fool than him. In that case, he could give the staff to that person. And for a very long time, that fool was burdened by the staff. He could not find someone more foolish than himself. And that, too, amused his master. But one day, the master became very ill. In fact, he was so sick that he called the strange little jester to his bedside and said, I'm going away. The fool asked, will you be gone long? The master said, I'm going away and I'm never coming back. 
Well then, said the fool, what kind of preparations have you made for your journey? If you're going on such a long trip, surely you have made adequate preparations. The man said, I have made no preparations for this trip at all. At that point, the fool reached over, grabbed the staff, and laid it on the pillow next to the feverish head of his master. He had finally found a fool who was incomparably even a greater fool than himself. Even this little jester was not that foolish. The dying man understood well the lesson, but it was all too late. He died before he had faced that greatest question of all. What will you do in the end? It was a neglect, it is a question neglected by the multitudes, and so it is good for us to stop at the end of this year to face ourselves, to look ourselves in the face, and to ask, What will we do? What will I do in the end? If you have not yet dealt finally and ultimately with that question, then I appeal to you one more time that you yet this evening go to God and ask him for the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the deep things of the Lord. Pray that he might lead you and guide you through this life and then prepare you for that final place where you might enjoy the rest that remains for the people of God. Then finally capture with me one of the gracious attributes of God among all of the other characteristics of God. One that is so predominant here is his patient, long-suffering towards us. You simply cannot read the Old Testament without being, without being impressed by the merciful patience demonstrated by God. Think, for example, of the ten tribes of the northern kingdom. They fell into detestable practice of idol worship immediately after the two kingdoms were split. Jeroboam started it all, and we read that the kings that followed him did evil in the Lord's sight and walked in the way of Jeroboam in his sin wherever he made Israel to sin. In fact, many of the kings that followed Jeroboam even outdid him in the abomination. But all the while, the Lord was merciful, gracious, and patient. Graciously, he offered warning after warning. He sends prophet after prophet to warn Israel to mend her ways. And each warning and each warning and each prophet was a demonstration of God's patient, loving grace. He sent the unnamed man of God from Judah to rebuke Jeroboam with regard to the golden calves and the altars. But Israel continued in their evil way. And God continues to try to draw them back unto himself. He sends more prophets. Think of, of, of Ahijah, Elijah, Micaiah, Elisha. All were sent to bring the same message to Israel. But the voice of warning was like an irritating alarm clock in the ears of Israel. Israel did not want to hear it. Israel would ignore or stifle the prophets and all, their, and all to their own ruin. While God continued to lovingly call out, Turn, turn, O Israel, why would you die in your sin? Israel stubbornly turned a deaf ear to the clarion call of the Lord until they were taken captive at God's direction as punishment for their sin. And now here in our text, Judah was still free. She still enjoyed the holy city of Jerusalem. She was drifting towards captivity, but it still could be avoided. The Lord was still appealing to them through Jeremiah. That's precisely what we hear in the words of my text. What will you do in the end? Congregation.
congregation, that call rings down over the centuries, even to us here in Bowmanville at the end of this year. Graciously, merciful, patiently, God calls out to us again this afternoon and asks, what about your end? Have you determined that? Have you made preparations for that final journey? My dear people of God, the Lord offers that warning so tenderly, so patiently, because he himself has provided a wonderful answer to the question. You see, if by the grace of God we have learned to cast ourselves into the arms of our Savior, then when the question is asked of us, what will you do in the end, then you may confidently say with the psalmist, as for me, I will see thy face in righteousness, and I shall be satisfied when I awake in thy likeness. the prospect how horrible would be our end without the glorious solution to the problem of our sin how dreadful the prospect of our end without Jesus Christ as our advocate we've come to the close of another year the year of our Lord 2023 has come to an end but it has brought with it the question what will you do in the end or if you will the question that comes to us, what will you do in the end of all time as we know it? The warning call has got out to us all again, but there is no occasion for fear or terror for those who have prepared for the end by embracing the gospel promise. For you see, the question comes to all, but the true children of the Lord answer jubilantly, oh, I have answer, I know my end, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth or any other creature can ever separate me from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ. I know my end, my end is with Christ in glory for eternity. People God, once again, at the close of this year, I frame the question for you. Have you considered the end? What does eternity mean for you? After all the temporal things of this world have passed, what will you do then? Have you made pre preparations? Have you made provisions for that journey? May it be that the God of all grace who has given us another year and who has tenderly warned us again this afternoon to consider our end, may he grant to each of us the comfort and the confidence to answer the question with the words of the hymn writer. One day, the silver cord will break. If you're old enough to remember the old red Psalter hymnal of the Christian Reformed Church, someday the silver cord will break. And I no more as now shall sing, but oh, the joy when I awake within the palace of the king. For then, for then, I shall see him face to face to tell the story saved by grace. May it be so for each of us and our children. Shall we pray? <coughs> Father, nearer, still nearer, while life shall last, till safe in glory my anchor is cast, through endless ages ever to be, nearer, still nearer, nearer my Savior.